Welcome to the South Plains Church of Christ podcast. To stay up to date on what's going on and how you can be involved, visit southplains.org. I pray that this message reveals God's truth and love to you today. Let's dive in. What do you treasure in life? What would you do to be successful? What would you do for a million bucks? The weakest link is a TV game show where eight people are asked to answer rapid-fire trivia questions by host Jane Lynch. thought that was interesting, Jane. To be successful, the eight have to work together, but everyone on the show is out for themselves. I just caught last week Jane's opening remark to the group that said, these are eight people willing to risk making a fool of themselves on national TV for a chance to win $1 million. Our culture is obsessed with getting rich. It's not anything new. Jesus told a parable about a man who was out for himself, and what mattered most to him was his inheritance. It was the money. More than his relationship with his family, more than his relationship with his God. Jesus knows how difficult it is to keep things in perspective. Nearly half the stories or parables that he told focused on possessions or money. And Jesus often sprang into teaching from a listener's question. In fact, that's how this story begins in the Gospel of Luke chapter 12, if you want to open your Bibles there. Luke 12, verse 13, when someone called from the crowd, Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Well, here's the problem. Now, think about that. Was this man suggesting that Jesus had the authority to tell his brother what to do with the inheritance? Or... Was it more like a letter to Dear Abby? My wife always reads your column. Would you please tell her? Some guys write in. Or maybe it's that the older brother was being unfair. If you stop and think about it a little bit, it's likely that this younger brother is bothered by the fact that the Levitical law gives the oldest brother two portions of the inheritance, while the younger only gets one. We've all seen family fights over inheritance or questions or accusations made towards business associates. And in this question, Jesus sizes up the problem and launches into a moment of teaching or application. He recognizes the problem wasn't the inheritance but rather greed, selfishness. If you note Jesus' response beginning in verse 14, he says, Friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things like that? Then he said, Beware. Guard against every kind of greed, because life is not measured by how much you own, by how much you have, by the abundance of your possessions. Beware, watch out, 
was a military word meaning be on guard duty. Why would you be on guard duty? That's because you're expecting someone to come against you, some to come against you, because there's more to life than things, so beware. Yet that is the message that we continually get in the world. But how tough it is to remember that. Be on guard duty. The word translated greed refers to the unquenchable, limitless desire for more. That's what we are to caution against. Well, why the big deal? Everybody's greedy to some degree, right? Well, the big deal is because greed has a tendency to make us captive to, to envy. We, we think about being enslaved. Uh, Arthur brought up the Egyptian slavery of the Jews. A lot of times we don't realize that it's things in our life like greed that takes us slaves to envy. You want what others have. You covet is the Old Testament word. You're walking in from the parking lot and you think, I wish I had that car. You see some kids and you think, I wish our kids were well behaved like that. Or I wish my husband would let me out at the drive-thru and go park the car. Or if he did, I wish at least he'd let me get out of the car fully before he takes off. How quickly greed turns to envy. As Paul wrote to Timothy, people who long to be rich fall into temptation and they're trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them, here's the point, into ruin. It plunges them into ruin and destruction. Keep your equilibrium. Keep your balance. Now, growing up, you express greed this way. He's on my side of the bed. Her hand's on my side of the seat. He's got more ice cream than I got. Her pieces of pizza are bigger than mine. And a mother who simply shakes her head, always wanting more. Greed can also take you captive, make you captive in indebtedness. Counselors say financial tension causes more divorce than infidelity. The late Larry Burkett said 95% of the couples I counseled were in trouble because of the overspending of who? Husband or wife? Husband. Wives, yes, tend to overspend on clothes and food. Men on cars, boats, airplanes. Spending. Spending and hoarding. I'm not a spender, Jim. Spending and hoarding may be different in process, but you know what? They're both rooted in greed. The insatiable desire for more things, which is why we tend to buy on credit, which have you noticed? Uh, they're, they're putting it out. You know, you can spread this out into four payments. You can spread this out into six payments. You can spread this out into 36 payments. You can spread this out over the rest of your life. They haven't said that yet, but it's coming. Or we refuse to get rid of stuff we have. It's the same thing. That's why the storage business in the United States is booming. Have you noticed that? As, as Lubbock progresses, everything on the edge of town is more storage space. People buy more than they need. And what are they going to do with the leftovers? Not ready to part with it. So we rent storage space and we pay somebody else to watch our stuff. And greed can lead to stealing. 
Your appetite's too big for your paycheck. So in this insatiable desire for more, you take what you, you, take what you can't buy. <laughs> I love the story from Wheeling, Illinois, where police accused a cashier at Walmart of buying stuff using other people's credit card numbers. Yes. The investigators admitted that actually the cashier had made their job pretty easy because she had identified herself on the fraudulent receipts in order to get the employee discount. <laughs> and greed can cause us to lose our eternal perspective. There are some serious consequences. Paul wrote to the Ephesian church, Ephesians 5.3, Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. You can be sure no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of the world. So what's priority in your life? Is your disposition affected by the start market, start market, start market, start stock market, one of those things? And, and if so, then your disposition hasn't been too good lately. Don't let the adversary suck you into placing more importance on the stuff of this world because it causes problems. If our appetite is centered around the wrong things. It was Zwingli, the restorationist Zwingli, who said, Do I possess things or do things possess me? Good question. So Jesus told this story to illustrate, verse 16. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. And he said to himself, What should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. And then he said, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, my storehouses. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And then I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get the things you worked for? He was ambitious, but that wasn't the problem. Harry Hopkins, who was the, uh, in, the, in, the, in the administration under uh, FDR, said this. I live in a country where dreams can come true, where failure sometimes is the first step to success, and where success is only another form of failure if you lose your perspective. Success is another form of failure if you lose your perspective, if you forget what your priorities should be. And on the basis of that definition, this man is a successful failure. Think about it. A successful failure. We need to learn from this example what not to do. It's, which is not easy because throughout this story, this, this man that Jesus told the story about was living what we call the American dream. 
He's increasing his holdings. He's upwardly mobile. He is a success. He has an ambitious plan. But in the end, it's quite apparent he's left out what was most important. He was selfish. He was greedy. And that is the problem. Jesus tells the story in such a way that the closer you look at it, you see selfishness more than accomplishment. In the two verses, 17 and 18, the personal pronoun is used 11 different times. I, I, me, me, my, my. He thought only of himself. Never of God and never of eternity. He was in the process of establishing his own personal empire. We know a little about that. I know, I know. I just don't... I just don't have time for church right now. I just started this new job. I don't have time for the Lord right now. I've moved into a new house. and I've got to get it settled. I don't have time for my family right now, but if they all hang in with me in a few years, well, we'll all be set. If you climb to the top of the success ladder and you have all of these things, but no one who loves you to share it with, have you really accomplished all that much? I think we hope to achieve financial independence, maybe an easy life so we can eat, drink, and be merry, as it says. Well, what did this man do wrong? Did he save too much money? No, nothing wrong with saving money. The trouble is he hoarded it. He saved it for the wrong purpose. The question, if your life ended today, would you feel like you had handled your possessions wisely? Or foolishly. You may have heard the story about the stockbroker who was granted one wish. He said all he wanted was to see the newspaper a week from today. His wish was granted, and he said, I'm just going to check out the stock markets. I'll be a multimillionaire in just less than a week. He got the paper, he planned the strategy, and after several hours of work, he took a break and decided to read through the rest of the paper, opening it up, and there was the obituary column with his name. If that was you, would you change your strategy and how you spend your money and how you save your money and how you spend your time, how you invest your time? Jesus said, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but you lose your own life? Well, the solution that Jesus gives is found in verse 21. Please don't, please don't misapply this story. It is not saying, don't ever build a bigger barn. It is not saying, don't have any ambition. It's easy to make applications that Jesus never intended if we don't take the story in the whole context of what's going on. The problem here is greed. Ambition is applauded in Scripture as long as it's for the right thing. The sage told uh, the story about the ant in Proverbs 6. Take a lesson from the ants. Learn from their ways. Become wise. They, They labor hard all summer gathering food for the winter. That's ambition. Complacency and selfishness are the enemy. Ambition and right priorities can be embraced. This man wanted to coast, but he wasn't prepared for the end of his life. Yes, a person is a fool, Jesus said, to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. 
let me give you three challenges. One is begin to acknowledge that everything belongs to God. Just deal with the truth that God owns everything and we are managers. We don't actually own anything. We will not keep it. One reason I think this church is being blessed is because our leadership is focusing on serving others more than ever and we're focusing on ministry more than ever. Richard Foster put it this way, God's ownership changes the question. Instead of asking how much of my money should I give to God, we ask how much of God's money should I keep for myself? Paul told the Philippian church, I've learned the secret of being content in all situations. What is it? Jesus. Jesus. Whether I have much or little. Second challenge, practice generosity and model it for others in your life. Teach your children, your grandchildren, stewardship principles early on, how to save, how to give, how to invest. The way to teach generosity is to model generosity. You should give generously to works that you have a passion for. Try to outgive God and find you can't. Become a partner with God and help children learn to make choices in giving as well. One man who had a weak heart won a million dollars, actually inherited a million dollars. His wife found out actually first, and she called the preacher to come over because he had such a weak heart and tell him gently and calmly. And so the preacher thought the best way to start the conversation was, he said, hey, suppose you inherited a million dollars. What would you do? And the guy said, well, I'd give half of it to the church. And the preacher died of a heart attack. Children are very perceptive, and they will imitate your generosity. Keep your eyes open and watch. Third challenge, live your life building a rich relationship with God. Keep eternity in mind. Don't get caught up in keeping up with the Joneses next door. Live in moderation. The core of the problem with the wealthy man was not his wealth. It was the fact that he left God out of his picture. His focus, his purpose was entirely on accumulating more and more. And in the process, he neglected the most important thing, his relationship with God. Life is short. I think, I think the past few weeks have, have proven that true. The last few months, the last few years. You could die today. And what would happen to all your stuff? One true statistic tells us that on average, nobody's getting out of this world alive. It's true. It's not a scare tactic. It's reality. The Hebrew writer taught us each person is destined to die once, and after that comes the judgment. Hebrews 9.27. Might be you, might be her, might be him, might be me, might be you, but it's coming. We don't know when. The more important picture is 
we might not die for years. Chances are, most of us are not going to die for years. But we still need to live this life with God in mind. We, when we think more things will fill a void, we often find out they don't. They simply create a vacuum for more. If you've had experience going and visiting third world countries or maybe hosting somebody from a third world country, you might identify with this as a host who picked up this person, first time ever to be to America, and as you rode through their subdivision, observed a car backing out of a garage and said, you have houses for your cars? I never thought about it. We live in a fluent society and often don't realize just how fortunate we are. And Jesus' words are true for us. Don't store up treasure here on earth. Store your treasures up in heaven. Where your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. And so the question, where does your heart desire belong? Is it in the office? Is it on your cell phone? Is it on the video game? Is it in a safe deposit box in the bank? Is it at the store? Where your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. This message this morning is not about appearing to be a fool. I meant to say it actually is about appearing to be a fool, but it's not about the chance to win a million dollars. It's about, as Paul wrote, our dedication to Christ makes us look like fools. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 10. Jesus is my treasure. The reason I am living and going to be my reason when I die. Friends, if you've been floating around concerned only for yourself, let me challenge you to consider becoming part of this family of Jesus. Commit to Him. Commit to one another. Commit to participating in this body. And if you don't have that treasure in Jesus, then we extend to you an opportunity to do just that, to dedicate your life to Jesus, to trust Him, to confess Him, to be baptized into Him. And as you submit to Him as Lord of your possessions, He will make you a new creation. Brett Mills and Charlie Parrish will be up front here as we conclude. Roger Mara is up in the uh, balcony. Brian and Tammy Pitnello will be in the prayer room off the south foyer. We'd love to pray with you and, and, and talk with you and help you take the next step in following Jesus. As we close our time together this morning, let's all join together declaring the Lord's kingdom reign in our own lives as we stand together. Thanks for listening. Again, I want to encourage you to visit southplains.org where you can find all sorts of information, including how to contact us and how to request prayer. Thank you for joining us.